Howdy and good morning, New Spring Church, all across the state of South Carolina. I want to welcome you, no matter what campus you are on. Anderson Campus, can you help us welcome our 14 campuses and anybody <laughs> joining us online? So good to have you at church today, Meredith. Happy Halloween. Happy Reformation Day. And Happy All Braves. Saints Day. Go Braves. The 11:15 service is all the people that stayed up last night and watched the Braves win 3 to 2. Amen. All I did right. Not. All right, okay. We'll cheer them on later. But we got some work to do today, Mayor. We do, a little bit. Yeah, so if you don't mind, go ahead and open up your Bibles. And if you got anything to take notes on, we're going to conclude the Women in Jesus series today. How many of you guys have enjoyed it on our campuses? It's been a blast. We've loved doing it. And today, uh, we're going to conclude that with some really, really, I think, helpful stuff. Because this is a conversation, Meredith, that many of us have had at, at kitchen tables, yep. um, talking to our families, talking to our friends. And we want to empower you to have this dialogue. Uh, so get ready for that. But before we do, we want to talk a little bit about next week yes. uh, while you're turning and open your Bibles. So in November, if you're part of our New Spring family, then you will know that the overflow season is kind of worked into our yearly family calendar. So next week, all through November, we start our overflow series, our overflow season. And um, at every campus, you should be getting one of these overflow bookmarks today, aren't those lovely, with on the back some scripture that uh, we have given to just prepare us for what we're going to hear every week. The speakers are on there. And I just want to encourage you to, to read these, especially in preparation for next week as Pastor Lee McDermott is going to bring a word next week. And listen, this is not hype. I'm not trying to be like hyperbolic. What he is going to bring to our church is going to be such a um, prophetic declaration over what is to come based on the faithfulness that we have seen from God so far in our church. So read this, take this, be blessed with this, and we'll see you next week. For overflow. Yes. Amen. Well, and today we're going to, like I said moments ago, conclude this uh, dialogue and conversation. And I just want to remind us where we started. This entire series. We've been all walking into this dialogue with a perspective of women. If you are a woman, you have a perspective of women. If you're a fellow, you have a perspective of women. And what we've been trying to do is bring our perspective in alignment with God's perspective. Right. And so hopefully every single week you've gotten closer and closer and closer to what God says and how God views women. Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ is God right here and now. And so we've been specifically looking at the interactions of Christ in the Gospels with women, believing they are a design feature, something important for us to be able to take from. Uh, and, and I think a lot of us have been encouraged by that, and we've celebrated that, but today we're going to take a next step yeah. to another chapter. So the thing we've kind of been saying this whole series is we want to calibrate to Christ. But also we need to, you know, identify that a lot of people don't necessarily have issues with women and Jesus. But as you get in conversation, the tension might come when we start talking about women and the church. So that is the framework for our conversation today, women and the church. And we really want to do this, um, we wanted to do this together because this is a conversation we've been having for the past 12 years of our friendship which feels like I can't believe I've been able to do anything for 12 years and the number only keeps getting higher. But for 12 years, I was a, um, an intern here at New Spring, um, started uh, back in 2009. And really that's when this conversation picked up. But just to prove, you know, a little, a little bit of how far our friendship goes back, here's a little throwback 
photo. Yeah, every uh, single September 25th is uh, mine and Corey's anniversary. And so there we are. We're having our wedding day. But I just want to point out the angelic oversight of Meredith Knox right behind us. Everybody see that? Uh, Meredith's been one of our good, good friends, one of Corey, my wife's good friends. They oh. were in a Bible study together way back then. And so we've been doing this in relationship. Uh, for a long, long time. And so, yeah, Meredith, we've had yeah. a, a long-standing friendship. So we want to do this in that same tone of vulnerability and honesty in the way that we have been having it the past 12 years, back when, you know, Corey Cooper and I used to ride around and listen to Casey and JoJo. Um, I know there's is, some Casey and JoJo fans out there. Can blessed, you hear the piano solo now? Yes, it's yeah. a blessed um, form of music. But uh, part of where this, the conversation that we're going to be having today really started for me back in, I think it was actually 2010, um, when I was an intern, and many of you may not know this, but Brad was actually the first person, other than the Holy Spirit, to say to me, hey, you're going to preach one day. And I was floored. Um, so after I cleaned myself up, I, um, I remember just going and reading through scripture, and it wasn't long after that Brad said that to me that I came to 1 Timothy 2, where it says, I do not permit a woman to teach. So I knew what I felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me. I knew what Brad had said to me, but then I came to this scripture, and I didn't know how to reconcile these two things. So I came to Brad, and I said, you've said this, I feel like the Holy Spirit has said this, but this seems like it's saying this. I need your help because I will not disobey this. Amen. So Brad and I, with his assistant at the time, Whitney Schultz, who is amazing, she's at our Greenville campus, we went to Papa's and Beer here in Anderson. Shout and, out Papa's and Beer. Yep, and had quesadillas and water. And um, She's not lying. <laughs> not a lie. Quesadillas not and water. Uh, and we walked through this conversation. And Brad helped give context to me. He encouraged me. We walked through the scripture together. And really for the past 12 years, we've been walking through how this is supposed to um, have its outworking in our church ever since. Um, and one of the things that Brad did was give an entire view of scripture, not just that one passage, not just that one excerpt from 1 Timothy 2 verse 11. Yeah, and so that's important. So here's what we want to do today. I want to sketch this out because this is so, so, so important. You're going to have conversations at your kitchen table with your daughters, with your sons, with your friends, with Bible study people, and you're going to need to be able to be able to frame this, and it's so massive that you understand we're talking about the big picture. And so we have a, 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 a puzzle box right here. Meredith, I know you're not a big puzzle person. Big puzzle girl. Uh, we've been joking about this, but one day God's going to bless you with kiddos, and they're going to be puzzle people. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to zoom out, and we've got to look at the big picture. And so that's what we've tried to do over this series yep. is when we look at the Scripture, and this is super helpful, we've got to get the, the consistent picture that God is showing us from Genesis to Revelation, yep. starting in the Garden of Eden with man and woman and finishing in the kingdom garden city in Revelation with men and women, God is showing us a redemptive picture and it's so massive. And so that's what we've been trying to do. Uh, in addition to that, one of the things that I just want to point out is we want to be wildly biblical. Yes. You should be concerned if anyone claiming to be a pastor or any church claiming to be a church is just going down a cultural progressivism. Progressivism? I like uh, it. You like that? We just made that up on the fly. Yep. Progressivism? Uh, they're not holding to the Bible. And so if you had fear because you're going, oh my goodness, I see Meredith on stage. I've heard Meredith 
teach, and I'm wondering how they're going to parse this. What you need to understand is you need to not fear us going down a progressive, woke path. We are going to be wildly biblical. As a matter of fact, if you go down that path, actually where you'll find yourself is in a place called feminism. That's where you'll find yourself. It's a ditch. If you lean into the traditions of men and you go down that path, you're going to find yourself in a ditch called chauvinism. And you're going to lean into to, to the traditions of men. We don't want to be in either one of those spaces. We want to be wildly biblical. But in that requires us to zoom out and look at the whole of Scripture and then calibrate to Christ, which is what we've been trying to do. So the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four Gospels need to be incredibly valuable anytime you're working through any subject. And so that way you can get a well-rounded view of doctrine. Now, if you're doing a puzzle, this is really a helpful metaphor. If you pour out puzzle pieces on the table, moms and dads, what are the first four puzzle pieces you look for? Not a trick question. What are you looking for? The four corners. That's exactly right. Just like this, right? So you got these corners. And then you want to actually get the straight line frame. And so that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do. They give us the four corners of and give clarity around any doctrine or any scripture. And so you take the whole of scripture and then you get into the 13 letters that Paul wrote. And what we don't do is we don't simply take one passage or one verse from one letter that Paul wrote and then cause that to be the lens by which we see everything else. We have to understand, well, they gave me a close-up. Come on, come on back to the camera. All right, there it is. All right. We don't use this as our lens to see everything else, but instead we figure out how all of this truth is meant to be in tension together. They're not meant to, do you just believe this or do you just believe that? They are both true, and today we're going to hopefully show you how those things are simultaneously true. Yeah, and ladies, I just want to encourage you to, maybe you have felt before inside of church, the church, a church, that you are this puzzle piece that no one has shown you where you belong. You feel kind of cast aside, overlooked, undervalued, whatever. Today, we really want to show you that the thing to do is not to just self-evaluate and self-define, but to see where God has placed us in this beautiful story and in this beautiful picture, because only there is where you will find your solid identity. So that's also part of why we want to have this conversation today. And one of the ways that, one of the big narratives, the big threads that you see in this big picture of scripture is this. You can write this down. Um, If you have the app, you can take notes on your phone. But this is one of the big narratives of scripture that we want to come around today. And it's this. Men and women are co-heirs with Christ and co-laborers for his kingdom. Awesome. That is a huge narrative that you see Throughout scripture where the Old Testament and the New Testament tie together to show us um, really this this promise. And so this next kind of section of teaching, what we want to do, and and I'm going to heads up, today is a lot of teaching. It's a lot of Bible, it's a lot of context, it's a lot of names, it's a lot of scripture, but we, we hope it is so helpful for us to see on a, on a grander scale how we as men and women are supposed to partner together in this thing for the expansion of God's kingdom, not our own. So this next section of teaching where we're going to kind of start this conversation is with the progression of a promise. So you see this men and women working together really starting as a prophetic declaration. And you're going to hear prophecy a lot today. And if you're not familiar with that, um, that term, really we just believe prophecy is hearing from God on behalf of other people and then declaring it. So you see this prophetic declaration from the book of Joel in uh, chapter 2, verse 28, and it says this. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. 
Right there, the first utterance of a promise of men and women, I'm going to pour out my spirit so that you can co-labor together. So then we get through the Old Testament, we get to Jesus, which we've already taught um, through the past four weeks and how you see him incorporating men and women. Then we have his death, burial, resurrection, and then the detonation of the church, the beautiful bride, and Acts 2 with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Let's read this together, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, men and women, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you see, men and women in the upper room together, desperate for God to fulfill the promise that he had made in Joel 2. It happens. The spirit is poured out. They get authority. They start uttering other languages, proclaiming the gospel in languages they had never even learned before. They go into the street. People start to hear them. It's so overwhelming that people are like, they're drunk. They're crazy. Yeah. Wrong. yeah, and they're like, it's 9 a.m. We're not drunk. We just have received this, this spirit who has given us divine revelation, and we want to share it with you. Then Paul, then excuse me, Peter gets up, his first preach ever, and in his first preach ever, his first point of his preach is to point back to this prophecy given in Joel 2. Let's look at it in Acts 2, 16 through 17. So Peter gets up. And he says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Peter is saying, hey, that prophecy that many of us are aware of, we've heard it all our whole lives. You've just seen it fulfilled before your eyes. It's here. The spirit has been poured out and here are men and women declaring it together. Well done, Meredith. So I want to show a couple of things and draw a straight line. So here's, here's what we've got to make sure we catch. The whole of the scriptures is that there is a spirit that's going to be poured out in redemption, and it's going to be poured out on men and women. That's specific. It's pointed out. And when it happens, Peter's going, hey, don't miss this. We've yeah. heard about this. We've grown up hearing this is coming, this is coming. It just occurred. Men and women in the upper room are filled up and they go out proclaiming. And here's what I want to make sure I draw a straight line to. We need to draw a straight line to the Great Commission being fulfilled with men and women co-laboring and being co-heirs with Christ in that mission. And so we can see this happening today. We're living, this is, I know, 2,000 years later, but we are still living in the last days. And the reports we are hearing from missionaries and and the mission fields all over the world specifically are that We are seeing God do incredible work as he's reaching people with the good news of Jesus. And and one of the specific places we hear about this is is the Iranian church right now. This is a current testimony right now that in the Iranian church, that the leadership in the church in Iran right now is 75% female. Why? It's because they have been treated and raised as a commodity in their context But when they come to Christ, they are not treated as commodity. They are dignified and shown as co-heirs and co-laborers. And women are running to this. They're given the freedom to lead and minister just like they were 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. And we're seeing the mission of God go forward. So the reason this is so important for us at New Spring Church is that there are people, unreached people, in our state, in our communities, in our world, and the only way they're going to be reached is if we appropriately 
elevate, dignify, and encourage and empower the women in our church to operate just like they did here. And so this is wildly biblical. We need to see it's connected to the mission and the heart of God. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it's the way that the early church was birthed. Yeah. Just say, this isn't like just stats that Brad is reciting. 75% of the leaders are women. We got to hang out um, two weeks ago with some church leaders over there that we partner with as a church. That if you give to New Spring Church, part of your giving goes to help support the churches that they are planting in the Middle East. And um, there was one of our brothers from that area who we were there getting their stories with the creative team. And he leans back. He puts his, he puts his hands back on his head like this. And he goes... So you, pointing to me, you lead with them. I was like, yeah. And then he pointed to Tara Cummings, and he goes, she leads them. Yeah. And he goes, this is what my country needs. Men and women leading together. And we both, I'm telling you, cried together at the reality of what, when people see this done right, the kingdom of God is unmistakable inside of them. So this is what we want for our church. And you see this all throughout the early church, men and women parting together, but we specifically want to highlight some of the women that we see. This is the detonation of the church here in Acts 2. So we see the church uh, start to expand, and we have a list of all the, the women that are mentioned specifically in the New Testament in the um, leadership of the early church. Yeah, so take a screenshot of that. There it is. Some of my personal heroes. Now, there is no way that we could go through. I would personally love to be able to tell you and teach through what all these women did. We would be here for an hour and a half. I would enjoy it. You may not. So um, we can't go through all these, but I do want to note a few things. One, uh, many scholars that you will read will say, if you read a name, specifically in the New Testament, it's because those people already had a massive reputation among the community of believers. So if they're listed in the New Testament, it's not just because they're listing names, it's because these people already had a reputation of leader and or teacher in the community of believers. So these women are named because apparently they already had a leadership reputation. But we're specifically going to highlight four of them for us this morning. And Brad, I'm gonna let you kick us off with Lydia. Yeah, so I just want to uh, piggyback on what Mayor said. If they're named, it was because they were known. So they're just referring to them by first name, perhaps, because they were known as leaders and ministers in the New Testament church, in the biblical community, bringing the kingdom. And the first one we just mentioned there is Lydia. And maybe perhaps you're familiar with the story. The, the place we first see Lydia is when Paul shows up in the city that she worked in, in Philippi. Yeah. It says that he goes to a place where these God-fearers were gathered on the Sabbath day and he declares to them the good news of Jesus. And Lydia is a businesswoman. She is a, a woman who trades in purple clothing, all right? And, and so she receives Jesus and invites Paul, excuse me, and all of the guys that were traveling with him to her house to stay there. This was like an Airbnb, a VRBO, right there in, in, the, in the first century there in Philippi. And, uh, and this was her, check this out, this was her second home. She wasn't from the city of Philippi. She's actually described as Lydia from the city of Thyatira. So she was a businesswoman right. who was wealthy enough to own two homes, and she was using her wealth to ultimately minister to the kingdom and the church, and they gathered in her home there in Philippi. Yep. So they would gather there every week for the Sabbath. They would declare the word, take communion perhaps. They would gather more and more people. Maybe we would see the, the Philippian jailer show up or maybe the, the young girl that was freed from a demonic spirit there. But ultimately, you need to know when Paul writes the letter of Philippians later, 
to the Philippian church, more than likely he's writing the letter of Philippians to the church that gathers at Lydia's house. We have a word for that. Yeah. Yeah. The word we use for the person that oversees the church that gathers in their home is called a pastor. Yeah. That's the word. So now let's talk about pastor for a second. Because in our context, in a lot of the context maybe a lot of us grew up in, the pastor was the one who was like the guy, right? He was the teacher, the um, shepherd, the one doing the hospital visits. He did everything. In biblical context, pastor wasn't used like that. Pastor just meant someone. There was You wouldn't find in scripture like Pastor Titus. Or Pastor Barnabas. Right, Pastor Timothy. Um, the only time you see pastor used as a title is with Jesus himself. The chief as, shepherd. As the good shepherd. But how Paul used pastor was as someone who just had authority in a community and would help shepherd the community. So when we say Lydia was a pastor, we're not saying Lydia was the one who had ultimate authority in that community and called all the shots. No, we're just saying that Lydia in humility but in authority helped shepherd that community together with her brothers. They met at her house. Right. Um, yeah, two homes. Yeah, two Dang, homes. She had that that purple cloth money. Well, she was she was selling Chanel, I guess. That would be Sad. like the equivalent today. I don't know, maybe oh, someone no, Chanel, purple cloth. We're close. Okay. I can't afford Chanel, so I have no idea what it looks like. So, anyways, from Lydia, we're gonna move then to Philip's daughters, and I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but Philip's daughters are a few of my faves, yeah, near and dear to your heart. Near and dear to my heart. Maybe it's because they were single. Maybe not. I'll let you decide. But Philip's daughters. There's only one verse. That mentions Philip's daughters in Acts 21, uh, verse 9. But it's such a significant verse, and here's why. So Philip was not one of the original 12 apostles, but he was one of the seven that were chosen to minister to um, widows and to local communities. And he was later called the evangelist. Acts 8, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Um, So Paul would frequent Philip's house in Caesarea. We've been there. And he would go there for, um, for community, but specifically, now the role of, of prophet, someone who had the gift of prophecy, was highly valued all throughout Scripture as encouragement, as challenge, as warning. So it may only be one verse, but the fact that Paul pauses to address these women is a sign of huge honor. And it's crazy that he would go to this house to consistently submit himself to their prophetic insight. Yeah. It's huge. And it matters. So Paul was there, we know, in Caesarea multiple times. This is the place where many, perhaps, of his letters were written because he was in the Herodian jail there. Okay, so he was on house arrest, and right there where he was on house arrest being waited to be shipped off to Rome, this is when he's meeting with Agrippa, Festus, all these people, this is where he is. And the persons that he was entrusted to that could come and visit him, or even he could go and gather with the believers at their home was Philip and his four daughters that prophesied. So they had a massive value there. This is the place as well where Cornelius shows up and Peter shows up later. It's all in the city of Caesarea, and these four daughters are there, and they're not prophesying out in the streets, New Spring Church. They're prophesying in the gathering at the church. That's what they're doing. They're using this as a part of the assembly of believers. And in the first testament or the, the first century context, prophecy in many ways is just like our preaching today. Mm. It's the same kind of language. So that's who they are. Yep. So those are Philip's daughters. Shout out. And then we're going to move forward to Phoebe, who is one of my faves. Those hypothetical children you talked about I might name my daughter. Well, you know, everybody here uh, that's a millennial is thinking about Phoebe from Friends right now. So we've got to get a different picture in our head. Different Phoebe. Um, But Phoebe was the one who got to deliver the letter to the Romans. 
which is a huge deal. So if you go look at Romans 16, 1 and 2, Paul says, hey, greet Phoebe. And he says this in the same way that he would have said, hey, to other churches, greet Timothy, greet these other leaders. It was a sign of huge honor and respect as in to receive, receive her as someone who is worthy of honor and respect. So let's, let's explain this a little bit because yeah. we, again, we all got our Bible from Lifeway or you ordered it and it came with chapter and verse. But right. back in the day, what was happening is Paul was in jail and he was pinning by the power of the Holy Spirit the letters to the New Testament church. And he wrote the letter to the Roman church and he sent it. But he sent it with someone. They had to carry it. And that person that carried the letter of Romans was Phoebe. Yep. She was the literal person that took the letter Paul had written. Maybe he sealed it with a stamp. He t she takes it. She carries it. Think about all of the danger that she would have had to endure. Yeah. Think about how secretive she would have had to have been. Because if the, the, the leaders of Rome found out that they were worshiping a different king and that they called someone else Lord, she would have to be unbelievably brave and courageous. The way that this process worked, she shows up to the church. And what you would do is on a Sunday morning, on a Sabbath morning, the person who brings the letter would actually open the letter, break the seal and open the letter and say, Church, this is from our brother Paul. Let me read it to you. So if you've ever enjoyed the book of Romans, yeah. maybe you've enjoyed Romans 8, you know, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've enjoyed the baptism of Romans 6. I could go on and on. What you need to understand is we have our sister Phoebe to yep. thank. She was the one who carried this scroll to the church and read it aloud. And in many times what they would have to do is someone might stop them and ask a question and they would that would clarify what Paul meant by saying this. So this is the way it worked, and this is more than likely what exactly happened that Phoebe delivered the letter to the Roman church, and so we have her to thank. Yeah, the boldness and bravery that it had to take for Phoebe to go through all that to deliver this letter is insane. But the person, the people who she probably would have delivered it to is our last woman that we want to cover today, and that is Priscilla with her husband, Achilla. And Priscilla and Achilla were the leaders of the church. In Rome. In Rome. And yep. there's even an instance in Acts where, um, Acts 16 actually, that, um, excuse me, Romans 16 actually, that same passage where um, there's a list of 28 people that Paul addresses. But who does he address first? Yeah, Priscilla. Priscilla, which is a huge sign of honor. The fact that he would address a woman first in this huge list of people that he's addressing is, is massive. There's even an instance um, where uh, there's a, a man named Apollos who is preaching the gospel, but there's slight... Um, uh, there's slight imperfections in his theology, and Priscilla and Achilla have to pull him aside and help redirect him, correct him lovingly a little bit. They were pastoring and leading in this community in Rome. So Priscilla's another, another boss for sure. Yeah, that's massive. We need to make sure we see this because this is all in the Bible, and we just want to highlight and underscore that all of these interactions that we've been bringing up to you are bringing up to you interactions with Paul. Right. And so Paul is writing these names. Paul is encouraging these women. Paul is doing all of this, but that's not the only things Paul said. He right. says some other things to Timothy and to the church in Corinth, and we want to talk about that. Yeah, so the fact that Paul is the one who affirms and honors all these women has to beg the question, though, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Well, then, what about 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians well, they have a part to play, but what we cannot do, and just as a reminder, what we cannot do is we cannot take what's written in 1 Timothy 
2 uh, and, and in Corinthians, and then we cause everything else that we've seen in the Scripture, the life of Jesus, the affirmation of Christ, we cause it to submit to one verse in 1 Corinthians 2. That would not be, here's the nerdy term, a consistent hermeneutic, which means way by which we interpret. What we must do is understand, Paul is saying all of these things, affirming all of these people, sending the letter of Romans with Phoebe to open and read, encouraging Priscilla in front of all of these other folks in the Roman church, and then he also says something to Pastor Timothy, who is in another context altogether. Pastor Timothy is in the city of Ephesus, Meredith. You want to tell us a little bit about Ephesus? I would love to, You want to read the passage? Yeah, so I'm going to read this passage first, um, and I love Brad, we're throwing consistent hermeneutic out there. Welcome to church, everybody. Come on, So we're going to study scripture together. But we want to break down first 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, which is the conversation I'm sure many of us have had around it, and then give us a context with that consistent hermeneutic. Sound good? Great. You're all stoked. All right. In 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 11, it says this. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So this is that scripture that I brought to Brad 11 years ago to say, help me with this because I do not want to disobey it. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so what we've got to do here is we've got to hold truth in tension. Because that is true. What those words are in the context of 1 Timothy 2 to Pastor Timothy are true. And truth and tension, you don't have to choose what are you going to believe. Every one of us that have been down to Charleston, our beautiful Charleston campuses down there, we've driven across a beautiful tension bridge that goes right over the, the bay there. And that's what's invaluable here is we've got we've to take this, this verse and we can't be incongruent with the whole of Scripture. We have to hold it in tension and it frames out beautifully when we understand that young Timothy was a pastor in a city 2,000 years ago named Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there was one idol that was worshipped. The entire city was built around the Roman goddess, 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 Diana. The entire spiritual world of Ephesus was around the pagan worship of Diana. And all of the spiritual leaders in Ephesus were not men, but were women priestesses that adorned themselves in all kinds of Uh, glamorous ways to draw attention and they were ultimately the pagan worship leaders in the city of Ephesus where Timothy is trying to pastor the people. So what we see here in 1 Timothy is Paul lovingly showing his pastoral son, here's how you're going to have to shepherd in Ephesus. It's going to be different than in Rome. It's going to be different than in Philippi. This is what we need to do in Ephesus. So it's a universal truth Mm -hmm. with a contextual application. So important that we get this or we will land in one of the ditches. Either we reject it and say, no, I'm going to be a feminist and just run down that path. Or, nope, I'm going to receive tradition and I'm going to be a chauvinist and run down that path. But instead, we want to have a really strong, wildly biblical understanding. Yep. So in that, to Brad's point, the women in this community had all the power, all the authority, all the, um, the right to make decisions. So what, what Paul's encouraging Timothy is in order for that community to be completely countercultural, to be a display of the kingdom of God, then the women had to learn how to submit and learn, and the men had to learn how to step up 
and lead. And he, he refers back to the big picture. That's yes. why he brings up Adam and Eve. He brings back the identic picture. Let's get back to the right. one big picture. Because he even mentions headship here, which we would say as a church that we strongly believe in and submit to male headship. Any time that I preach from this stage, it is in the authority that Brad, as my leader, as the head, has delegated to me. And so I just want to say, too, because of this male headship, this is what we believe, you know, that this still was a, a, um, a timely command that still can hold truth today. Meaning there may still be some Ephesus-type communities in the world where, may, ladies, this is maybe more for us, where it would not be most beneficial for women to speak and to teach based on that community in that context. If that's what the, the headship agrees to and what is best for that community, then that is their right, their authority, their responsibility to carry that weight and to make that decision. I do wanna, I wanna point this out though, that that word there, um, I do not permit, okay. In the Greek, uh, that is not the word for command, as in universal forever commandment. Why is that important? Well, because Paul does use the Greek word for universal forever command seven other times in 1 Timothy. In the same letter. In the same letter. So it's not that Paul doesn't want to make an all-out forever command, but we have to know it's important that he didn't use all-out forever command here. It is shown for a time and a context in a people where he's just not giving permission in that space. Does that make sense? Yeah. He's trying to raise up the men who had not been leading. He's trying to rightfully place them in the big picture, and it's in context. And so here's here's what we've got to understand. It cannot mean for us today what it did not mean for the church there. We'll say it one more time. It cannot mean for us today what it did not mean for them. And so this verse specifically has been, and if you really do the scholarship, let me give you a suggestion on this. There's a fantastic book by N.T. Wright called Surprised by Scripture that addresses this fantastically, has way more than I can offer, we can offer today. I want to commend it to you. Um, But it, it cannot mean to us today what it did not mean to them. He was trying to point out the big picture and try to get them to work together to be co heirs and co laborers right there in Ephesus, where they had a ultra high spiritual pagan woman worship, and they needed to get that right-sized, men and women beside each other working together. Yeah. So speaking of consistent hermeneutics, since, you know, (laughs) we're going to keep using that, uh, if you zoom out a little bit, so that's 11 through 14, but in order to cling to Scripture rightly, it has to be in the context of all the other verses around it. Yeah. So let's look again at 1 Timothy 2, but let's look at some of the verses before it. They're going to come up behind us, and let's look at this together. And think about what we just heard about women in that context, and now read it. So it says, starting with verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And then it says. And then it says, let a woman learn quietly. So again, the women of that day, the, the priestesses, the ones in authority would adorn themselves with, with huge jewelry, with costly attire, with ways to portray and to push their power and control. And in context, this is what, um, what Paul is inviting Timothy to lead that community 
toward. And, that, and if you miss this, that's, that's why if you miss this and you just say, okay, the, the universal command here is that women are not supposed to teach. Well, then what we've also got to do is we've got to take those other universal commands, don't wear gold, don't braid hair, and we've got to apply them as rigorously. And that doesn't make sense at all. That's why you all have on gold wedding bands today and you're wearing earrings, ladies, and some of you have your hair braided and nobody is going, oh my gosh, they're, they're not following the scripture. It doesn't make sense to apply it like that because it's not consistent with the big picture of the renewed co-heir, co-labored kingdom we're in. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so with that, that's how we answer First Corinthians 14 as well. Let's read it. But that same context, those same tools to help us. So this is 34 through 35. It says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted, there's that allowance word again, to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, then let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. So we read that, but then again, in the bigger context, just three chapters earlier, Paul refers to women speaking in church. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 4 through 5. For every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or who prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. So again, he cannot be saying in 1 Corinthians 14, women be silent forever. When he just said three chapters earlier, as women are praying and prophesying within the church. So we know he's speaking to something here, right? And so again, this has been, these verses have been, I believe, abused, okay? And used as whips in, in the traditional context. But listen, if you're reading what Paul is doing, he is correcting something's happening in Corinth. And if you read the letters to the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth was wild, y'all. I mean, wild. He's correcting all <laughs> kinds of uh, sexual sin, all kinds of things going on. But what he's not doing is saying, don't ever speak, because he just said right there in three paragraphs earlier, when you are praying or when you are prophesying women, do it this way. He's talking about headship. What he's correcting there is something that was going on in the church in that moment in time. Right. So most historians believe, scholars believe, there's fantastic scholarship on this, that they were still doing what Jewish people in the day did, men sitting in a section, women sitting in a section, that the women started talking because maybe they didn't understand what was being taught. And, or maybe one of the ladies shouted to her husband, hey, Johnny, what's he saying? I don't understand that. And what Paul is actually doing is giving a specific correction to that kind of behavior as you gather. Talk about this when you get home if you don't understand it. Don't start just talking about the things that are going on in your life with the other women in the gathering. But instead, make sure you're doing this in order. So it's a contextual yeah. moment. It's not a universal command. Yep. Yeah. Johnny, a big name in the well, early church. Yeah, John, man, the, the beloved. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, before we move on, I do have a, um, a word specifically for the ladies. Because what, uh, when Paul does say be silent here, though it may not mean be silent, what he is saying is in a calmly and a put together and at a restful manner. So ladies, I've got an encouragement for us. If you're ready, say yes. Great. If you've been around New Spring anytime, you know I can talk. I don't mind asserting my opinion. I don't mind giving my input. However, there is a way when it is not under the way that God has invited us to do it that is not helpful. It's actually detrimental to the work of God. Proverbs 31. Call it cliche if you want to, but how dare we call anything in Scripture cliche just because we've heard it a lot. It's coming up a lot in our culture and our context. Maybe it's because we need to listen a little closer. But Proverbs 31 details a godly woman. And one thing it says about a godly woman is that she is clothed in strength and dignity. 
That means that in your secret place, in your time alone with the Lord, there is a strength and a dignity that only the Lord can bestow upon you. So that when you walk into a room, you do not have to yell or berate or manipulate any kind of authority to push a power when God has already clothed you in an authority that only he can give. If we have to push or prove our power, it is not power in the first place. So I'm telling you, be so devoted to your personal time with the Lord. You do not have to fight for a place or a seat or authority when God is the one who has preserved it for you. Come Good on, ladies? Meredith. Awesome. Great, great. I just want to encourage you with that. That's what Paul is saying is there's a quietness and a subtleness, and it's a lot less exhausting for all of us when God is the one who gets to clothe us and then fight for us in those spaces. That's so good. So, again, we want to make sure you catch this, that the Scriptures speak about a, listen, a universal equality in redemptive value for men and women. There is no doubt that we are equal in redemptive value, but we are, and it is, is such an important thing that we see this in our culture today, but we are valued distinctly in our function. Right. Those are things that you bring to the beauty and the adornment of the bride of Christ that we cannot try to, to um, lay down or, or, or shirk. We need to be fully men, fellas, and ladies, we need you to be fully ladies, ladies, and we need to do it with the uh, honor and dignity that the kingdom of God does it together alongside of one another because that's the picture right. of the church. Right. So as we were praying through how to um, conclude this series and this message, we thought one beautiful way to show the co-laboring and the co-heir identity that we have as men and women is to end all of our gatherings with a few blessings. So how we're going to end is I'm going to bless the men, Brad is going to bless the women, and then we have some spiritual mothers who are going to come up at every campus and have a specific blessing for your campus. And here's what we believe about blessing. A blessing is not just, some, just words we are speaking. We have gotten alone and we have prayed about what God may want to impart to the men of this house and to the women of this house. This is a, a doctrine of blessing that you see all throughout scripture. Number six, the blessing that we sing all the time. It is such a beautiful tool that God has given us to encourage and to challenge one another. And so that's how we want to end today. Yeah, so if we are okay doing that, can I invite you to your feet on all of our campuses? And we're going to let Meredith start, fellas. If you want to go ahead and open your hands up. Uh, our sister is going to bless the men of New Spring Church first, and then I'll take a chance yep. to, to bless the ladies. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, so I would yeah, invite you to just put your hands out um, in front of you. And just to encourage you, this blessing is based on Psalm 25, um, if you want to go and read that later. But I just want to honor you. Men of New Spring Church, as you lift up your soul, your entire self to the Lord, May you find a God you can always trust, a God who will never put you to shame, who will not berate or embarrass you, who will not leave you to fight your own battles. May you be men of patience, waiting upon the Lord as our Savior did, becoming men of prayer and of presence. May you have wisdom to discern the ways of the Lord and the boldness to walk in them. And as you do, may you find at your right hand a father who is teaching and guiding you. A father who is never distracted, never too busy, and never in a hurry. May his presence become your favorite part of your journey together. May the steadfast love of the Lord become the unshakable foundation of your identity. May the wounds left by imperfect mothers, fathers, coaches, or leaders be mended today by the voice of a God who delights over you with loud singing. 
May you be blessed with the power of beautiful humility. May you never find a need to assert your dominance as you rest in the reality that God has already commissioned you with divine dominion. May the spirit of God fill you so full with the fear of the Lord that the fear of man finds no room to dwell in your mind, in your ambitions, or in your affections. And may intimate and satisfying friendship with our helper, the Holy Spirit, consume every one of your days, even to old age and gray hair. I bless you, my brothers and my fathers, highly favored men of God with an anointing like David. May you operate from your favorite anointing, leading the bride of Christ with an upright heart and skillful hands. May your eyes ever be toward the Lord. May your soul abide in well-being and may your offspring inherit the land of faith that you leave as a legacy. May integrity and faithfulness preserve you as we wait for the Lord Jesus. And when he arrives, may we be found there together, brothers and sisters, united by his spirit, having co-labor together for the joy set before us, Christ himself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you receive that, would you put your hands together, men? Thank you, Mayor. Sisters, mothers, daughters, it's your turn. Would you open your hands and receive? Women of New Spring Church, may you be convinced that your heavenly Father sees you, all of you. And in light of all of that that he sees, he loves you, all of you. May God give you the faith to believe that he wove every intricacy of you together and that he made no mistakes in doing so. And that in Christ, he has blessed you, as Ephesians 1 says, with every spiritual gift in heavenly places. You are abundantly rich in Christ Jesus. May your Father's kingdom abundance be felt through your lives and may you outflow in abundant love, in abundant joy, in abundant shalom, in abundant long-suffering, in an abundant kindness, in abundant goodness, in abundant faithfulness in abundant gentleness, and in an abundance of self-control. Fear not, daughters. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Walk in the power of this truth. In the name of the Father who loves you, in the name of King Jesus, your big brother who died for you, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is with you now to help guide and counsel you all of your days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 While we're all standing, I wanted to do one more thing. I wanted to bless you, Meredith. Uh, And if you guys are okay with that, I'm going to lay my hands on Meredith on behalf of the leadership of New Spring Church, the elders here. The, The scriptures tell us very plainly, do not lay hands in haste. Meredith, I can bear witness. I've watched you for over a decade. And you make your Father in heaven proud. It gives me a great honor to represent the pastors and staff here to say thank you. And I want to bless you. So I'm going to place my hands on her. If you don't mind extending your hand, let's pray for Meredith. Let's bless her. 
Meredith, as I got with the Lord, I asked him what he wanted to say to you, and here it is. He said, I want you to know that as a brother, I'm proud of you. I'm proud to be your brother and co-laborer in the kingdom work God's laid out before us. And as I asked the Lord about you and what he might want to stir and part through me this moment today, he gave me an image of you. And it's an image of you in your hiding place with him. This is your strong tower. And it's the foundation of your identity and your strength in ministry. May your love of that secret place grow continuously all of your days. And he showed me the picture of John 4, of Jesus talking with a woman. We've talked about her. But specifically, Jesus, our big brother, tells us that he is wanting us to know that the Father is looking throughout the earth and he's searching for true worshipers, and you are one of those. You're a true worshiper who is worshiping him in spirit and truth. So may God always grow your heart to feast on his spirit and on his truth. May you be a woman of kingdom convergence. That was the phrase. A woman of wind and fire. A woman of worship and the word. A woman of grace and truth. And on behalf of your elders here at New Spring Church, your family, we bless you in Christ Jesus, your big brother's name. Amen. Amen. Love you, sis. Now, we're going to welcome spiritual mamas at all of our campuses to bless your community. And so I'm going to pray for us, church. Thank you so much. This Women in Jesus series, I hope it gives you great confidence if you're a, a daughter here, if you're a wife here, if you're a grandmother here, that this is a church that's going to value the entire Imago Day. And we're going to value men and women because we believe that the mission and work of the kingdom of God is imperative. And the way that the good work goes forward is by doing this. So, Father God, thank you for your church. Thank you for the beautiful bride. Thank you for these women at every single campus. They're going to bless us and encourage us specifically and uniquely in the 14 cities where you've allowed us to have a campus representative, God. We love you. We honor you. It's for your glory on this October 31st. It is not a coincidence that 504 years ago you reformed your church by causing them to look back at the scriptures and recognize where the scriptures were not being experienced in the expression of your bride. And so, Lord, would you help us to calibrate to the scripture? Help us to lay down anywhere where tradition has caused us to take our eyes off the scripture and allow us to apply it now in our context right here in the, in the church in South Carolina at New Spring. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you help me welcome a leader at your campus?